When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, y'all. This is Tina Cannon, and I'm on Baseball and Barbecue. the studios of baseball and bbq on long island new york this is episode number 226 i'm jeff theo cohen along with leonard hollywood aberman and we welcome you back to our show leonard baseball and barbecue episode 226 jeff i'm still listening to episode 225 oh you are yeah i haven't finished come on <laughs> we're here at 226 all right i better i better hurry Jeff, we've got two great guests on the show. What what a surprise, right? What a surprise that Shocking. we have two great guests. Shocking, yes. <laughs> we got two great guests. You have a pet peeve. I've got a rant. Yes, that's right. So we got a lot to get to. We've got Anthony McCarron, who is a great sports writer and also television personality. And then we've got Barrett Brown, of Pit Boss. And joining us with Barrett is Chef Ray, our oh, friend ooh, Ray Sheehan. Chef Ray, yes. Yeah. So it's going to be a big episode. I, I suggest everybody get ready. But before you do that, listen to this. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team. And remember, that's right, use your promo code Believe that's B L E A V for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, it is where the game starts. Jeff, we're gonna we've got an exciting start to the show with Anthony McCarron as he tells us all about his incredible career as a writer has a television personality, and he's right here. We have with us a New York-based freelance writer and on-air talent. I met him several times at baseball events. Anthony McCarron has been writing about sports since 1989 and has worked at the Miami Herald, Newsday, and the New York Daily News and has reported on Major League Baseball since 1999. He's a regular 
contributor on SNY and reports on the Mets, Yankees, and Major League Baseball. And he has co-authored a book with Andy Martino called The Mets, 50th Anniversary Celebration. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Anthony McCarron. How are you doing, Anthony? Great, great. Thanks for having me, fellas. Our pleasure, our pleasure. You know, I, I'm looking at your screen now, and I see you have a bookcase in the back here. I know one of the books is Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, and we had on Anika Orak, the author of that book. So, oh, you did? Did, did, you, did you like that book? Oh, that book is it, it is a thing of beauty, that book. I really do love it. You know, it's funny. I've had several people mention that they've seen it uh, in the background, uh, back when we were doing a lot of the Zoom shows uh, with the pandemic on SNY. And I've had people like, what is what is that book? I, you know, and and so uh, I'm, I'm happy to give it as much publicity as possible because it's wonderful. Yes. And just to let you know, I did take a picture of it one time and I sent it to her. I said, look oh, what I did. saw on, on TV. Yes, I did. Oh, that's great. <laughs> she was very appreciative of that. It. Yes. Uh, my other question is, did you read all those books? It's a work in progress. Uh, uh, some of them have been read. Some of them are going to be read. And and some of them, you know, how you buy books and then you fall out of love with them. So uh-huh. there, there's a little bit of everything going on there. But yes, I'm very, uh, I'm diligently trying to work my way through uh-huh. as many as I can. It's a, it is indeed uh, going to be tough to get all of them, though. But I love having books around. It, it, it's It's unbeatable. I see the wax pack. We had him on, uh, uh, Brad Bulichian and uh, Power and Pinstripe. We had Jeff Mangold on. So, yeah, we get, we have, we have a lot, lot in common. Oh, Jeff was the, uh, the strength coach when, when I did my stint, uh, uh, as the Yankee beat writer for the Daily News back in the day. And he really? wrote that, he wrote that book with a, a former colleague of mine at the news, Peter Body. Ah, yes. Jeff, who do we just had? Are you talking about oh, Rick Cerrone? Right. Yeah. So did you, were you there when Rick Cerrone was the PR guy? I was, uh, Rick was the, Rick was the, the, the PR guy when I got there. And in fact, through, I think through my whole time on the beat, I did, I did five years on the beat and, uh, I believe he was the, if memory serves, he was the media relations director for all of them. I actually, uh, he's, uh, the editor of baseball digest now. And, uh, mm-hmm. I actually contribute to baseball digest regularly too, which is a lot of fun. Uh, I grew up reading baseball digest used to have stacks of them in the in the garage uh, back in the day, and uh, so I always I'm, I'm I'm like tickled to be able to write for Baseball Digest. Now I love it. The the stories he tells of 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 working for the boss. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, just <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, he he was just inducted into the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame. If you're familiar with that, sure. You mentioned all these books, and uh, it's funny we never know with this podcast what direction we're going to take, but. <laughs> Let's let's stay on the writing. Uh, since you did start as a writer, we have all these authors on, and I always say to them the same thing: you guys do all the heavy lifting. The easiest part is for us to pick it up and read it. You know, to buy it and read it. Now, you wrote a book, but you are a columnist for many many years. Take us through your career. We'll just sit back and, but because when you started out. And you and I are about the same age. It was newspapers. You went to, that was it. You know, the internet wasn't really, I, there wasn't an internet actually. And oh, uh, not when I started out. I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to date myself, but, uh, <laughs> but yes, you're right. right. <laughs> and, and so you went to school maybe for that, or you, you know, you wrote for the paper and you, and you, you knew that what you were, you were either going to write for magazines, newspapers, you start out writing for you wanted to be a newspaper reporter is what you started out wanting to do well when i got into the business when i got out of college i wasn't exactly sure what i wanted to do specifically 
I, I liked writing, loved baseball. And, and that's really the thing that sort of propelled me into newspapers was that I dreamed of covering a baseball team at, at one point in my career and, and working towards that and working in, in sports somehow, uh, you know, and, but my first job actually at a college was at, as a news reporter at a small newspaper in South Carolina, the Greenwood Index Journal, tiny, uh, but I got a, an amazing education there, um, you know, learning how to do all kinds of things, including developing my own pictures because I took all the photos with my stories as well. And uh, so I was in the lab, which I was definitely not qualified to do, but, uh, it, you know, it was a little bit of a chemistry lesson. So I started out there for, uh, you know, roughly a year, I think, before I moved over to the paper sports department. And, you know, I'd always, it was in South Carolina, so high school football was enormous. So I had always covered high school football on Friday nights, uh, which was obviously, you know, like a, a weekly, not holiday, but a weekly occasion, certainly uh, there. And, um, you know, that sort of just got the ball rolling. I, I fell in love with everything. I mean, that, back in those days, you know, they used to paste up the paper and, and and all that stuff. You'd go in the back and they'd be cutting out the type and all this sort of thing. And I just fell in love with the whole process. It was it was great to be part of this product that was, you know, from from the beginning to the end of it. And you'd see it. It was an afternoon paper and, uh, you know, you'd get it uh, out that day. And it was just, it was amazing. And so that's what got me sort of going into it. And, and you know, but always in the back of my mind, covering baseball was was there. And I, I wanted that to be uh, an end game for myself. So now, Anthony, let's, let's fast forward. Let's say you're graduating in 2023 and you want to do something with sports. But now, based on the way with the Internet and media, sports talk, radio, all of these things, do you think that you still end up looking at newspaper reporting or would you be doing would you be looking at doing something else in sports, but maybe not newspaper reporting? Well, I mean, it would certainly be a player in the game, I, I think, because they still do put out such amazing content in, in, the, in the sports realm. So that would definitely be something that to pay attention to uh, if you're if you're getting going in your career in sports and in sports journalism now. But there's just so many opportunities and avenues that never nobody even dreamed of. You know, when I had my job at the Greenwood Index Journal in 1989, no one had any idea what social media was going to be. And that's obviously an enormous part of it now. Uh, and there's even things, you know, I, there's even things that I don't don't fully grasp that are happening and that people are making careers out of and doing great things, interesting things, uh, things that they're, I'm sure they're enjoying the heck out of. That's all covering sports. And, um, you know, back then also, you know, you did sort of pigeonhole yourself, you know, maybe not in, intentionally, but sort of almost uh, by osmosis maybe where you were like, okay, I'm a newspaper guy, you know, I'm going to be a writer and that's going to, I'm going to cover the team and that's it. You know, you don't think of, you know, being on camera somewhere one day or going on the radio. And if anybody ever asked you to come on uh, their show, whatever it was, uh, and talk about whatever you were covering, it was kind of more of a, a lark than anything else. It's like, oh, wow, that sounds like it might be fun. And you would do it. And, and then as the years passed by, you started to see that people were creating careers and, you know, these enormous careers out of doing that crossing over, you know, either way, back and forth uh, between the writing and the electronic and radio pod. I mean, podcasts didn't exist back then. And, and you know, now there's there's all kinds of ways to get your voice, your reporting, 
your inter- entertainment factor, your it factor out there. You know, so there are, uh, it's not the same as it used to be. There's just, there's more opportunity. You know, obviously there are many fewer newspapers and that's not great. I don't think that's helping uh, the country in any way um, across many different spheres. Newspapers are great watchdogs and that's a big responsibility and losing them doesn't help anybody except the people who are trying to get away with stuff. You know, so that's a problem. So there, while, while all these other opportunities and things have come up, you know, newspapers still have to hold a, a place in, in our society, not just covering sports, but everything. Exactly. Coming back to, to sports, since you covered both the Mets and the Yankees, I want to ask you about each team's fan base. I mean, each, each love their iconic player, Yankees with Derek Jeter, Mets with David Wright. Can you tell us the compare and, and tell us the differences between Jeter and Wright for, for, for us? Well, that's a good question. I think they're both admirable figures uh, in fandom and that, that both teams have, you know, the, as, as sort of their modern, uh, I don't know, icon, uh, for lack of maybe a better term. They both fit the bill really well. Uh, look, I mean, Derek Jeter won the World Series five times, and that's something that David Wright can never compete with, which is a problem and uh, not a problem, but it's, you know, it's definitely a difference between the two. And, and Look, at, during David Wright's career, everybody was trying to sort of rush to call him the Mets Jeter. And uh, fair or unfair, you know, he did have a lot of the characteristics. I mean, they're, they both at least on the surface come off as really good guys. And, you know, that's their public face, which is great. And, you know, they both were obviously wonderful players. You know, David Wright just uh, is, is eligible for the Hall of Fame this year. Derek Jeter's in the Hall of Fame you know, David Wright is probably not going to get into the Hall of Fame. So there, you know, he falls a little short of Jeter there. But I mean, these are, you know, David Wright is one of the greatest Mets of all time. And that's not such a bad thing to be. You know, he's still a a terrific ambassador for the club. I mean, you can see the delight that fans have when he's around. I think the Mets have have been trying to get him to be around. And I think that's a really good thing uh, for both sides. Covering both of them, watching both of them play for so many years. I mean, it was a gas to watch both of them. And, you know, Jeter was, he maybe wasn't the most expressive interview when he was uh, an active player. I get it. thought he did a really nice job on Fox uh, during his uh, foray into the media business. Hi, Derek. Welcome aboard. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, I thought he was frank and interesting. And that was great. You know, but these guys were larger than life figures in, in New York sports in, in, in recent years. And, uh, you know, to, a, to, to fans of a certain age, they will always be on the Mount Rushmore of, of both teams. And that's just a follow up on that. Since, since we're talking about Mets and Yankees, is it really a I mean, do you see a sibling rivalry between the fan bases of, of, of between the Mets and the Yankees? Because, you know, the Yankees are so iconic with all those championships and the Mets are just trying to get by and trying to trying to win. I think in some cases, uh, the Yankee fan strives to not pay attention to the Met fan, but fails to do so. They, they would love to not pay any attention at all, but they can't help themselves. And I think the Met fan would do well to stop paying attention to the Yankee fan, and they can't stop themselves either. So it's a weird <laughs> sort of uh, relationship there. You know, there is a little, little bit of a little brother factor for for the Mets. And that, uh, I mean, history sort of dictates that to them. And, you know, but there was a time when they owned the city. And, uh, you know, I know that's a big phrase for fans, own the city. And, uh, (laughs) you know, they can certainly get back to that. 
you must win to do it though. You can't make the World Series. You can't have the richest owner who's going to spend the most money, but they haven't won anything. Like you, you got to win. And that's all that's going to do it. So, you know, I, I, I like the interplay between the fans when it's respectful, like at the Subway Series games, when they're, they're sort of razzing each other, as long as it doesn't get too over the top and physical or any, or, or you know, yelling at each other. That the, the, the trash talking, you know, as long as it's in the right spirit is great, you know, but I, I just feel like there's just because they're in the same town doesn't mean you have to be obsessed with each other. And I think there's sometimes there's a little bit of that going both ways, although I'm sure that they're when Met fans see this, they're gonna be, what is he talking about? What? That's ridiculous. And there are the Yankee fans are like, who? What? Won't. You know, and uh, if only either of them were actually being truthful. Anthony, we like to do something on this show um, that we actually we've become known for, and that's to rant about certain things. So on on one episode <laughs> and and I actually said to Jeff, you know, we should ask Anthony if if he has anything that he wants to rant about. You can think about it. If there's anything you want to just get off your chest, you could it a guest rant. But I, I did a kind of tongue in cheek rant because you mentioned, uh, you know, the richest owner and all that. And, and I said, you know, it, it's no secret. Jeff and I. Huge baseball fans, but Met fans is the the team we root for. Sure, sure. I said, you know, for all these years, we wanted something and we got it. We finally got a billionaire owner, right. a multi-billionaire owner. We've been wanting that for years. The Yankees, George Steinbrenner, and they would just, if they wanted a player, they got the player. That was it. You know, right. there was no money would stop them and, and they would get the player. So we get the multi-billionaire owner. And then two players I wanted went to the Dodgers, right? right. Otani and Yamamoto both go to the Dodgers. So what's good? What's the what's the good in having a multi-billionaire owner if I can't get the shiny toys that I want? That's a fair, that is a fair question. Um, <laughs> look, I don't think Otani was gettable. I think he was always going to stay out there. You know, the other guy, to me, I don't think he can shrug off Yamamoto signing with the Dodgers, even if he was sort of ungettable, too. And, I, you know, he might have been ungettable as well. He might have always wanted to go to be in L.A. But, you know, what the Mets have going for them as, as, as an attraction right now, they don't have the same kind of history that the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Cardinals do. They don't have that sort of lore uh, you know, they've got their own lore and it's precious and great and all of that. It just doesn't reach the same levels as the as those franchise those other franchises do. So they that's not a selling point. But the main thing that they have is what you said is Steve Cohen's money. And this was a guy who, you know, you sort of thought at the beginning of the of the offseason that it was going to be it's only money. So why shouldn't the Mets win this guy? And it didn't happen. And it just, to me, it sort of illustrates, A, they didn't get the guy who would fit their perfect stated offseason because he's 25 and not 31. And you could sign him for a long time. And he is there for when the team is ready to win, et cetera, et cetera, and win big. But they didn't get him. And so that sort of colors this whole offseason in a way that, that I, I'm not sure the Mets – I don't know. I, I'm sure they realized it, but it just it it feels cold now, you know, that he went there and there's no pivot. You know, it's they're not going to pivot to Blake Snell and they're not going to pivot to Jordan Montgomery. And they shouldn't probably, you know, it's uh, like this. That I thought that was a tough one. I, I 
Like it's easy to shrug off Otani a little bit because I don't think he was like, like we were saying, I, I don't think he was going to come here. I don't think he was going to sign with the Yankees. He wasn't going to sign with the Red Sox, any of those. He wasn't going to sign with Toronto, any of those places. He wanted to be where he ended up. The other guy, I mean, you had, you had your chance to romance him and the Mets put their best foot forward in fairness <laughs> to them. They did what they could do there. I mean, could Steve Cohen have afforded to, to offer him a hundred million dollars more than the Dodgers did and, and basically force every other team to bow out because the money just got so crazy? Yeah, probably. But does that make sense in, in any realm? I don't, I don't know. I mean, could, could... I, I don't want sense though. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. I'm See, now, tired of being sensitive. I just want to win. <laughs> right. Well, now I think your real complaint will come next year if, and I know that doesn't do anything for the 24 season, but if Juan Soto says, I'll go to the highest bidder and the Mets say, here's the pile. And then he goes elsewhere. Then that's, that's like a huge, huge red flag to me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, look, I mean, he, he's, to me, he's a unique player. I, I don't mind that, the, you know, for the Yankees' sake, they gave up talent to get him for which is only a one-year guarantee. I don't care about that. He's worth it. He's worth the risk to try to win this year. You know, but when the Mets, their, their stated goal is to start winning in 25, we've heard that from, you know, all of last year, you know, with the Max Scherzer quotes and all that sort of stuff. Like, if they're not getting those players next year, then it's, I mean, it's a big... It's a big problem. Now, look, I, I don't know how you guys feel about prospects. Prospects are great in theory. They don't all pan out, but the Mets have made it pretty clear that like 24 is not their all in year. And so we're left with, with the disappointment post Yamamoto of not going to be a sexy off season. And, you know, I can see where fans would be frustrated with that probably have a right to be frustrated with that, especially the way Steve Cohen has started his tenure because he did buy the Hall of Fame pitchers when they were free agents. You know, he did make that run at Carlos Correa, even though that ultimately didn't work out because of the physical. So, you know, there's an establishment in place. And usually in baseball, we see teams and owners move glacially when they decide to switch their theories and steve cohen turned on a dime last year and said this is not working let's trade these guys i've said i want the farm system to be built up let's start now you can argue whether that was wise or not look i i I had a little trouble with them doing that last year because i thought there was enough talent on the team to maybe make a run and then an 84 win team did go to the world series did win the nl pennant you know, you only have these precious few years where you can actually say, yeah, we have a chance to win or at least get in and see what happens in the in the craziness of the playoffs. And they didn't do that. Of course, the Met, the Mets roster didn't give you much evidence that they were going to be any good enough to make a run. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, I, I you know, I feel like when when Steve Cohen bought the team, everybody thought all the problems were solved. And now they're finding out like, hey, the Yankees didn't win every year either. You know, it's like, it's really hard to win. So respect to the teams that do win. And, you know, it's been a long time for the Mets. They need to get one soon. And I think they're heading the right direction in that. Is it going to be 24? Mm. You know, mm. is it going to be 25? Well, that's up to them. You're right. It's it's definitely hard to win now, uh, especially, look, going through four four rounds of playoffs. I mean, you, you, you're you old enough to know one round, you know, the playoffs and, you know, 
Eastern, Western, they, they played and they go to World Series. That's it. Now it's four rounds, so it's it's very really difficult. Uh, but speaking about salaries, what's going on with pitchers' salaries? I mean, so much money is being thrown around. I'm, I'm thinking that eventually, at the end of the CBA, it's going to be a work stoppage because it's just getting so crazy. I mean, Yamamoto, who has not pitched, not not been on a major league mound, and by the way, the first game he pitches is going to be in Korea uh, in a real game. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it's going to. Don't you think it's? I mean, obviously, the, the baseball is flush with money. They they can afford yes. it. Yes. Right. right. I mean, so whenever any owner says, "Oh, we can't afford that," that yeah, that's um, hmm, you know, I'm in a hem and haw about that. So look, p- pitching is getting big money. Obviously, um, Yamamoto is fascinating to me because he did get that inc- incredible contract. And look, but uh, you know, he's to me, he's less of he's less of an unknown pitcher from uh, another pro league than we've ever seen because he's been thoroughly scouted by most every major league team who has guys who has people at almost every game in Japan. Now he played in the, in the world baseball classic. So there were eyes on him and, you know, we're not talking about, uh, I'm trying to go back to, we're not talking about Daisuke Matsuzaka or before him, Hideki Arabu, guys like that, where there weren't the same kind of measurables on them the way they are now. So all the pitch tracking data and the way people think about pitching and evaluate pitching now, professional teams who have their own, all of them have their own proprietary ideas on how to do all of this stuff. And they all take the data that's uh, publicly available and the tracking stuff and the camera, high speed cameras, all that stuff. And they figure out whether these guys are for them or not. And so I think Yamamoto has been under such a, a, a microscope in that regard that we know more about him than we would in general. So I don't think that he's like this unknown quantity. I know he's never thrown a pitch in the, in the major leagues, but he's also like throws really hard. His pitches break. His pitches have this, you know, shape, all that stuff that they talk about now that's way above my pay grade in terms of analytics and, and the cameras and stuff. So I think they have a pretty good idea that this guy's worth that kind of money. And then he got it on the open market. So I think he's a special case. But when you're looking at guys like, you know, Lucas Giolito, I thought the Mets should have signed him for mm-hmm. the sole purpose of he would have eaten a ton of innings for them. And if if they are indeed going to have a competitive team this year, they're going to need war horses to get through rotation spots. And this guy would have been one. Well, he got almost $40 million for two years. So you're, he gave up 41 home runs last year. Like he, it was insane. I mean, you know, he had a weird year, obviously. You know, if he had his first half uh, the whole way through, he probably would have gotten a monster contract. Uh, and everybody would have considered him the, the, the same kind of pitcher he was at the early part of his career. You know, instead of a guy who's been down a little bit since then. And then he had a poor second half and that really affected him. But he still got almost forty million dollars. You know, I thought the Mets did well to get Luis Severino for thirteen million for one year, short commitment. But that's what these guys cost now. That's what they can get out there, and uh, like you got to find them and you got to pay them now if you're going to go free agent. I'm I'm interested to see David Stearns uh, how he negotiates the rest of the pitching market because I really liked what he did when he got from his old team when he got Adrian Hauser. Not that Adrian Hauser is going to win the Cy Young Award or anything. Maybe he will. Who knows? But that was like a good move where they used the Mets' monetary advantage to get a guy, to get some talent 
and not give up a whole a whole lot, at least in prospect value, for a guy who sh- could have a pretty big impact on this year's team. But like, uh, are they going to trade for another pitcher? They need more pitchers. They're going to sign one of these other guys. I mean, I made a list of some guys who are still out there: Michael Lorenzen, Mike Clevenger, James Paxton, Hunjin Ryu. Are they going to bring one of those guys in? Well, those guys aren't taking like $3 million for one year either. Like right. they're going to get going to get some coin too. It's mm-hmm. going to be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Atlanta Braves are a great organization, how they how they sign young young players to long-term contracts. But I got to think sometimes these, these, these guys' ego is going to have to get at them because Acuna, who's a, a great player, won the MVP, he signed a $100 million contract for eight years. It's $12.5 million average. And yet this guy from uh, Korea, uh, Jung-Hoo Lee, he got yeah, that's him, one hundred and thirteen million, right? Or, yeah, or something and along those lines. And making like sixteen yeah. million a year, more than uh, Acuna. I got to think, you know, some of these guys are going to like, wait a second. Maybe they should be opt outs. Maybe they should be, uh, you know, uh, take shorter terms deals. I mean, what what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, those those things are all obviously open to negotiation uh, when you're when you're doing the deal. I can't remember the age offhand that Acuna signed his contract at. But he's still a very young man who is going mm-hmm. to have a, an incredible resume when he hits the market again. You know, that may be his enormous payday. Like he 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 basically made the trade off of instead of three hundred million, you know, in a few years, I'll take a hundred million now and I'll have my hundred million and everyone in the family is set. Right. Yeah. So that's the you know, that's the trade off there. Sure. Um and, and you know, I mean he could have had opt outs involved. You know, maybe he didn't want them. Maybe he uh, I can't speak for him, but did he know what was coming with the with the Braves? I mean, how are the who's who's beating the Braves? Uh, the, I know, right? They're so good. <laughs> you know, are the Dodgers gonna can even the Dodgers beat the Braves? I don't, you know, I don't know. They're they're it's amazing what they have done in stockpiling the talent there, and, and you know, so maybe he wanted to be part of that ride. You know, we'll we'll see how it works out. I mean, I do know this: once he goes back on the market, he'll there'll be plenty of people interested. I mean, forty and seventy last year. Uh, by Acuna is just nuts, um, you know, uncharted waters. And he's that kind of talent. I want to talk Hall of Fame for a little bit. Now, I don't know your status. I know, like, I know people that write for the New York Times, they're not allowed to vote. Do you have a, a vote for the Hall of Fame? Do you have I, a do, I do have a vote for the Hall of Fame. I just mailed my ballot in uh, last week, as a matter okay. of fact. I'm not going to ask you who you voted for. That's okay. not. Yeah, I want to hold my reveal. Reveal. That, that is <laughs> for the, uh, Yeah, for the day of. But I want to talk about. I I feel like with you, I I don't know why, but I feel like you're you're like the the psychiatrist. I'm visiting you, and now <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna help me with with all my rants. So here and, here's another. And what one. do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. I I had. Well, you know, I had a very. My mother was very. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> Let's talk about the the ballot. So, you know, some of them we get to see. And my thing is always, I understand that people don't want to put players on first ballots or whatever. But my really big pet peeve, and I I feel like if a guy is a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer. That's it. He, if you feel that he should be in the Hall of Fame, whether he goes in first year, second year, he should be in. But what really gets me is when a guy votes for someone, fame one year. And then you see his ballot the next year, and he decided to take that person off the ballot. Right. What that really gets me because if the, if his vote had been echoed by many others, the guy'd be in the Hall of Fame. Right. Like if you think he's a Hall of Famer one year, and there wasn't any scandal or anything like that, 
how do you not put him in the Hall of Fame again? Now, maybe this is something that you do. I don't know. So but I, I see like I'm looking at a ballot here that is one that I'm not naming who it was. But this person last year voted for Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez. And this year they took them off their ballot last year. They did not vote for Carlos Beltran, Andrew Jones, or Billy Wagner. And this year, they did. And then they have a few others they voted for. Now, the argument could be, well, they only can elect 10. Right. But they only have they only have five. So they could have included those two. So did they all of a sudden say, well, maybe steroids matters. And last year, they. I'm trying to get the, the point of view of a voter. Well, that could be that they that they've reconsidered. I, look, I, I have always looked at, at it. I've been voting since, let's see, 2009, I think I got a ballot uh, for the first time. And I, I do think that because of the limits that are on the ballot, you can only vote for 10. Uh, some guys come off the ballot if they don't get a certain percentage. So you, have, you sort of have to be mindful for that. Like, for instance, Johan Santana, I think, came off the ballot after only one year, which is which is actually terrible. Not that I voted for him because I didn't at the time, but I feel like he's a guy whose career was so exceptional that he should be at least considered for more than one year. But the writers don't have that chance anymore. Maybe he's got a shot down the line with with a committee, but you know that's a, it's out of the writers' hands. Um, but I've always looked at the ballot as as changing year by year, and that's how guys like Burt Blylevin got elected eventually because. Uh, he was helped by the statistical revolution where, you know, analytics got in, involved and, and people started appreciating his his pitching in a different way. And I'm all for that sort of stuff. I'm all for these the, the, the uh, evolving part of it, because I think it's interesting. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe after some consideration, you know, this guy said that, you know, these the steroid guys, you know, no, I'm not going there with them. You know, maybe they looked at the results and said, A-Rod and Manny are not gaining any uh, a lot of traction. They're never going to get in. Maybe I should stop voting for them for that reason. I, I mean, those are all things that are, are possibilities there. You know, maybe they said, oh, I'll throw uh, Manny a vote because I'm not voting for Beltron because I'm giving him a one-year penalty because of the sign-stealing scandal. There's all that sort of stuff. I, you know, like I, the, the first ballot thing... I, I'm not like I think that's more that's more of an older voter look at it. I, I think that's been been sort of devalued or lessened, maybe is a better way to put it uh, in, in recent times where people are like, well, he's a Hall of Famer. But, you know, let's pump the brakes on the first ballot. I'm not voting for him now because he doesn't deserve to be first ballot. Look, you can to me, you can look at the Hall of Fame. I know some people who are I, I feel like I'm picking on Andre Dawson here. I'm not really. I voted for Andre Dawson. You know, some people are like, well, he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And I was like, well, if Andre Dawson isn't as good as Babe Ruth, I mean, duh, that's obvious. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they can't they can't both be in the same place. You know, like you don't you know, you know what do you, you, you want to put Hank Aaron and Walter Johnson and Tom Seaver in a separate wing because they're so much better than all these other guys who are the lower two? Fine, whatever. Look, th think about it in your mind that way. But, you know, Andre Dawson had an incredible career. Oh, yeah. um, and, and, you know, so I, I just I, I, as you might be able to tell, I'm a big hall guy. I think that the part of the joy of the Baseball Hall of Fame, keyword fame uh, being there um, is to get people in. And I'm happy to vote people in. I voted 10 
many times, uh, including this year. And I will vote 10 again, no question. Uh, I think there are some great candidates on the ballot. I wish that they didn't have the 10 vote minimum because there are years that I would have voted for 13 because there are so many good players on there. I didn't vote for Fred McGriff before his final year on the ballot, which he got in on because my ballot was too full. And I hate that. I would have loved to vote. He hit as many home runs as Luke Gehrig did. That's a pretty good career. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, so it, it is, look, it's a, to, doing it is a, is a challenge every year. It's a, uh, uh, it, it's great fun. It's like, it makes me a little nervous too, because I know that there are people out there who are going to be mad at my ballot. In fact, you know, everyone is mad at everybody's ballot. Everybody's ballot is the best ballot ever uh, submitted and the dumbest ballot ever submitted every single year, you know, but I get a huge kick out of it. I enjoy it. I mean, uh, two friends of mine who vote, uh, Dom Amore from the Hartford Current and P. Caldera from the Bergen Record. We have what we call a Hall of Fame lunch every year where we go out to lunch in, in the city and we kick around the ballot and, you know, and we, we each have our own things like, uh, I'm not going to vote for this guy. You know, well, why not? You know, why, what, what, this, look at what he did. And, you know, so we have a great time uh, kicking it around. So it really is it really is a lot of fun. And I do love the fact that people are so passionate about it, too, because they really do. It really means something to people in a way that none of the other sports, major sports Hall of Fames seem to. You know, people are ready to go to the mat over Craig Biggio. I mean, let's get it on. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and that's, you know, that just shows the passion that baseball can inspire in people. And it's, it's, a, it, it, it's all right. You know, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we had the president of the Hall of Fame on and we were talking about the ballot and what, and I agree with you, the passion is great, but some of the comments that you see on social oh. media are just terrible. Yeah. This guy stinks. Take this vote, guy vote away. It should, his vote should be taken away because I don't agree. It's ridiculous. But right. uh, I would love to have so much power that every guy that I voted for got into the Hall of Fame because that's how everybody treats every ballot. You know, yeah. like uh, I, I, I'm trying to think like Jeff, I voted for Jeff Kent because I thought what he did uh, power wise at second base was remarkable. And I thought that he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame and he didn't get there. But, you know, I mean, you would have thought that I had voted for, I, you know, I, I don't even I can't even say Daniel Murphy. I mean, I, I, I'm not <laughs> trying to besmirch Daniel Murphy either, but clearly not a Hall of Fame player. But, uh, you know, so people were just getting outra outraged by these things. Oh, they should take your vote away. That's yeah. a big one. You should yeah. take your vote away. Well, I, I got news <laughs> for you. All you take your vote away, take the vote away, people. The writers have done a good job. It hasn't been perfect. Nothing is perfect. Getting 480 or whatever, however many people it is to agree on things, 75 percent of that, <laughs> it's hard. Um, but they've done a pretty good job. Oh yeah, and I and I my response. I don't put this response on social media. I'm just in my head. Go, you don't like the way you voted? Well, you vote. You right. go. You go get a journalism degree. You go vote for ten years. You you finally get your your whole, your writer's card, and you, you know ten years wait period, and then you can vote. You know well, who are you? And and there's also, I mean, look, there's a slippery slope. Like if the if if the the writers are impartial, I I, I really do believe that, and you know we see this. Is it going to happen with the voting for your, for awards? I mean, like down, you know, years from now, or the, uh, is MLB going to, you know, they've already established some of their own awards, but the MVPs and the Cy Youngs really are the meaningful ones. Like, what's it going to look like if the writers who are trying really hard to be impartial uh, and, and like really being, you know, giving all of that stuff long, long looks, 
um, reporting on it to vote on these things. What if they're not doing it anymore? What's it going to look like? I don't know. Should like, the national broadcasters have a vote like the writers? Like Bob Costas, I would think someone who has, you know, I know he doesn't have a vote. He's not a writer, but you'd think he'd be he'd be very intelligent in what, what he votes for. Certainly Bob Costas would, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How does the end end of year voting uh, work? I mean, uh, do you get a specific category that you vote on, or it, like rotate, or do you vote on all the awards? Uh, you get a specific category. Um, okay, it, it's mostly the, the the beat writers who are uh, watching like two in each city uh, who are watching every day uh, at games all the time, uh, mm-hmm. and those are the guys who vote for those major awards. The the people okay. who do. Gotcha. Anthony, there's a there's a, a a quote that I love by Joe Garagiola. Uh, he once said, "You know, usually you're the best player in your neighborhood or whatever." And he said, "He said I wasn't even the best catcher on my block. <laughs> I lived across the street from Yogi." Right. So now, where I'm going with that is, are you the best reporter in your house? Oh, not even close. <laughs> no, you do know. You know who my wife is then. Uh, yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. Judy Batista is my wife. She works for uh, NFL.com and the NFL Network. Oh, yeah. And she, yeah. I mean, she's like, remember we were talking about echelons of the Hall of Fame? She is like Willie Mays. And I'm like, uh, let's see, um, who, uh, Rabbit Moranville. <laughs> 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 that's very good but you know i i wonder i mean that's really um because you're as a, as a reporter you're traveling all the time i mean maybe not now as much because you 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 know you're on tv more but when you were doing a beat and you were covering teams and your wife was doing the football now i know thankfully baseball and football you know have very little well training camp of course but sure there isn't as much i mean it could be a lot worse you could have been a uh well i know you covered hockey and whatever but you could have been like a hockey or basketball reporter while she was doing football then i don't know how you would have done that right right and believe me it was hard enough uh you know uh, i i don't travel the way i used to thank goodness um you know and, and in fact when uh when our daughter was born uh, that's when I asked off the Yankee beat because I didn't want to be doing that at that time. And, you know, honestly, when I went freelance, that was a great thing for us as a family because that meant somebody was always going to be home. So we weren't doing the thing where we were constantly opening up our, our, our date books and going like, well, you know, I got to be in Cleveland and then Detroit and then, oh, you know, but I've got to go to Seattle, uh, you know, for this and then Indianapolis. And it's like, what are we going to do? And we so we had a lot of those moments. Back in the day. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. You know, uh, Judy covered when she worked at The New York Times, she did. I, I guess it was the last half of the 1999 season on the Mets beat. And so she had done a baseball beat. 2000 is when I took over the Yankee beat at the Daily News. And my line on that used to be, uh, you know, like my wife did a baseball beat and she still doesn't understand the job. Because it's like under, it's ununderstandable. Like you can't, like it's just so crazy to go to travel all that time, and you know you spend eight weeks or whatever it is in spring training, and then you immediately go on the road, and then you're only home half the time, and then oh yeah, they're playing an extra month because it's the Yankees when they were really good, and you know, and then it's like you know, oh thank goodness the World Series finally over. Like, well, who are they signing in free agency? You know, so it was always, it was always DefCon Five, 
and uh you know so there was it was just yeah it was a lot <laughs> the, the the trick is to cover a team that never makes the playoffs so you'll have right. time free <laughs> exactly october is beautiful what a beautiful month <laughs> you know and, because i remember as a as as a met fan years ago like you know every as a kid i would always look forward to finding articles about the mets and then as the season wore on and they were out of the playoffs after as family guy says you know here's the pitch and the season's over <laughs> but you'd there'd be you know maybe ap would be covering it you, right. you would you would no longer see like columnists covering it. It would just right. be small uh, right. stories. So covering a team like that might be better for a marriage. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, uh, I really, really appreciate your time. I got two final questions for you before we wrap oh, yeah, up. Sure. One, did you enjoy the QBC, the Queens Baseball Convention, which, by the way, anybody listening, it's a, a fan fest for Mets fans. And I met Andy, Andy, Anthony there as also at a Sabre event. But how do you like the QBC? I, I, to be honest, I loved it. I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. I, I really had a lot of fun wh when I was there. And like Met fans were so just happy to be there. You know what I mean? Like it was like a pure joy thing for them. And like, that's really cool. You know, I mean, especially just like, look, you know, sometimes it's not easy to be a Met fan and I get it. And, you know, but they, like I think you said it before, they love the team, you know, in a, in a, in a way that is, wonderful and that's like that really came out at that event to me and you know the people that i met there couldn't have been nicer you know that they enjoy watching sny and and the different shows on there and and the coverage and so it was great to be like around in that environment and you know i brought my daughter and you know she's a she she loves the mets and she was happy to be there and see terry collins and and all that sort of stuff so yeah i was it was really fun i i, I had a great time Great, great. Yes, yeah, so, so did I. And my final question is, you wrote a book with Andy Martino. Do you have a, another book in you? Uh, that is a great question. I, you know, maybe I'm, I don't have a plan for one right now. You know, it is something that I think about every now and then, but it is a lot of, it's a lot of work. You know, that one was kind of like the daily news is the one that, that Andy and I did was the, the daily news is, for, you know, 50 years of the Mets kind of thing when we both worked at the paper. So we, we leaned pretty heavily on, on, uh, you know, the, the paper source material and it was hard. I mean, it was a lot of work and I, you know, and so to, to, to do like a, uh, you know, a book that's independently reported in, in more so than that would be, uh, you know, quite an undertaking, but yeah, I mean, I, it's something that I've toyed with and, um, I would love to be, probably sounds bad or kind of like, I don't know, lazy maybe, but I would love to be struck with a great idea and be like, that's it and, and mm -hmm. do it. And so far I haven't been, haven't uh, hit on that yet, but if I do, I would, uh, I would pursue it. Anthony, um, being that we're baseball and barbecue. Love barbecue. Yeah, exactly. That's what I want to ask you about. <laughs> um, heard, heard a little birdie tell me that uh, you enjoyed uh, your time in Kansas city when oh. you go yeah. So t tell us a little bit about barbecue you enjoy. In wow. Canada. Well, I mean, you have good sources. Um, I, yes, I, I have a reputation of having a very uh, hearty appetite and uh, I can do some damage at, uh, at a barbecue place for sure. Let's see. It's been a while. The, the last time I was in Kansas City, I think, was when the Mets played in the World Series there. Uh -huh. But it was always like going there was always great. Like I I'm trying to think. I mean, I've been to all the 
to the biggies there. Uh, it, it was Oklahoma Joe's at the time. I believe mm-hmm. it's Kansas City Joe's now. You know, the place, I'm sure you guys know it. It's in the gas station. You what you have to wait yeah. on the line. Right. And then you're like, I, I mean, I remember at one point, I, I heard about it and heard about it and heard about it. And I get there and I'm like, oh my God, look at that line. And then I'm standing there waiting in the line. I'm like, I'm really waiting in the line at a gas station to get barbecue. And then you sit down at the table and they bring it out and you're like, yes. <laughs> this is the greatest thing i've ever done so yeah uh, i mean the the food there is uh is is tremendous uh the barbecue is amazing i mean i've been to where else have i been to arthur bryant's gates jack stack in fact we've we've ordered jack stacks uh in in mail order too uh as well and um i'm sure there's places that you know kansas Cityans who are really in the know you know, would be like, oh yeah, you should go here. I don't know those places. I, you know, uh, leave them in the comments though. So we know we find out. But yeah. You, um, uh, yeah, it, it is, it is great. I remember that very vividly that, that the fifth, the 15 trip there in the world series, because I think I had barbecue every time I had a meal that wasn't at the bar, uh, ballpark. And I even had barbecue at the ballpark because Jeff Passan, who I think lives in Kansas city or did at the time, he went to Oklahoma Joe's and bought like a hundred sandwiches and was like, Hey, I want everybody to try Kansas city barbecue. You know, the sandwiches, I, I, you know, you just, whatever it was face value. And I was like, Whoa, yes. Uh, you know, uh, so I, I ate dinner, ate barbecue at the ballpark too. Um, and it was, uh, it, it's a great town for that. I mean, you could really do some da- like my, at my, about a week later, I went for my annual physical, which let's just, I'll leave it at this bad timing. <laughs> and if you ever go to Kansas City, go to the Negro League Baseball Museum because that is yes. a fantastic place. Yes, I have been there. It's been a long time, um, but it but um, it is a wonderful a wonderful place. And the 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 guy who runs it is like one of the all time raconteurs. And Bob Kendrick. Yes, Bob yeah. Kendrick. If you get to talk to him, it is a great experience because he's got amazing stories. Really, a, I interviewed him once for a story I, I wrote, and it was like a, it was just a pleasure to be on the phone with him. And he is really like he has become such a great ambassador for for that important cultural spot. And uh, so, yeah, if you if you get there, you got to go. That's a must. That whole area. I think there's a jazz museum right next door too. Yes, right? Yep, exactly uh, down the block too. So that whole yeah. area is wonderful. Yeah, yes. I actually think that Bob Kendrick who was the uh, bore people with this because they've heard it so many times. He was our first guest ever. It's been on numerous right? times. Yeah. 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 We oh met him. Uh, we went for episode 200 to celebrate in Kansas City and we met him in person. My opinion is one day he should be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, that's a great call. That is a great, that's a great call. He has done so much to, to sort of raise the profile of, of, of that, which is such a big part of the game. Um, you know, that a lot of people don't know nearly enough about. I'm one of them. And, and you know, it's just it, to hear him tell his stories. He has a great podcast uh, as well. Speaking of podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, he uh, yeah, he's what he does is amazing. Anthony, we thank you for your time. This was so much fun. We, we loved watching you on SNY and we thank you for taking your time to be on baseball and BBQ. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to. That was that was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was really a great conversation. I'm feeling a little uh, peckish now, though. Barbecue <laughs> on the brain. <laughs> Jeff, make him some ribs. Come on. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> Get his address. We'll run okay. him over. <laughs> oh, man. Thank, 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 thank you, you very much. Oh, you bet. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings podcast. 
And if you like barbecue and you like baseball, then you have to listen to Baseball and BBQ with Jeff and Lynn. They always have the best guests from the world of baseball and the world of barbecue, all in one little package. So check it out. Baseball and BBQ with Len and Jeff. Okay, guys, take it away. And thank you, Anthony McCann, for joining us on Baseball and BBQ. He's an engaging guy, isn't he, Leonard? Yeah. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Anthony. Yes, he really is. I enjoyed it. And, you know, he's a Hall of Fame voter. Yeah. Always great to have them on. Yeah. And you know what else it's great to do? It's great to go to BaseballBBQ.com, grilling tools and accessories, baseball bat handle, tools, cutting board shaped like home plate, get engraved whatever you want on it. Jeff, are you still considering getting these items for a wedding gift? (laughs) Yes. I think they make a great wedding gift. They do. They make great wedding gifts. They make great Father's Day gifts. They make great birthday gifts. They make great Mother's Day gifts. Holiday gifts, gifts in general. Go to baseballbbq.com. You will love it. And if you want to get in touch with the show, give us a call 516 855 8214. Email us baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Leave a message on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. Leave a message on X at Baseball and BBQ. We have an Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue. Barbecue is all spelled out. Our website is www.baseballmpbq.weebly.com. And we're all on all your podcast apps. And please rate, review, and subscribe. And listen to, we have 200 or more episodes. So listen to all of them. Do it this week. Yeah, Everyone. My, yeah. <laughs> It'll take you a couple of hours. That's all. <laughs> Leonard, I understand you have a baseball rant thank you jeff yes i do and it i know i'm not i'm a i am an amateur ranter i am uh in the minors i still need to work on the rant but i gotta tell you i think i finally figured out after 226 episodes what is the secret to getting people to listen what's that say something controversial oh because Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because I was listening to someone talking about a certain player who they felt should have their number retired by the Yankees. Can I tell you something? What's that? It's a privilege, not a right, to have your number retired. Teams don't have to retire your number. And some teams retire too many numbers. Again, I'm not naming names, okay? But here's the deal. If a player is not getting in the Hall of Fame because of steroid use, and that player has incredible stats for that team, why should that team retire that number? Why should that team retire the number of a player that was suspended from baseball for a year would have been more, but they got it reduced. Now I would love to have that player on this show. Don't get me wrong. Okay. But 
Do I think that the team should retire this player's number? No. Again, I think most of you probably know who I'm talking about. I'm not naming names. But I'm telling you, it is a privilege, not a right, to have your number retired. And teams will retire a player's number because of what they meant to the team, because of their significance to the team. And if that player, just because he had great stats, if they were steroid, you know, if it was as a result of steroids, if they're not getting into the Hall of Fame, I really do not think that that player's number should be retired. That's what I say, okay? So if somebody wants to say something so controversial, like, oh, you got to retire their number. Well, you know what? They don't. That's what I feel, and that's my rant. You're not talking about Alex Rodriguez, are you? And the Yankees? I, I didn't say that, did I? You you <laughs> said the name. I well, did not. I, I haven't heard him even discussing retiring his number. I don't know where this is all coming from. Really? Yeah, I haven't heard him discussing uh, retiring his number. Although he is the best third baseman in Yankees history, I get that. But and there are people in the Hall of Fame who have used steroids. We know that. But there, there was a certain personality who was discussing it. Okay, I'm pretty sure. You're not naming it's, names, are you? I'm not naming names, but <laughs> I do believe that somebody mentioned how he was just this great third baseman for the Yankees. You're not naming Joe Beninga, are you? Again, I'm not naming <laughs> names. Why are you doing this, Jeff? Okay. Well, you are right. It, it is not a right. It is a privilege. And uh, the Yankees can do whatever they want. You know. Yeah, of course. But, you know, retire what, whoever's the numbers that you want to retire. But if you don't want to retire his number, then don't do it. And I think they, I think they have every right not to. No one's uh, arguing with you. Well, oh, I'm maybe, sure there's maybe maybe Joe Beningo, but we're not mentioning any names, right? No names. And if you disagree with me, and I'm sure a lot of people do, or if you agree with me, and I'm sure maybe my mom might give the show a call. Let's hear what you think. Five one six eight five five eight two one four. So listen, you know, Le Leonard. Last week, one of our friends, uh, Anthony Morosco, asked me about a pet peeve. Yes. And you know what? I thought about it and I do have another one. Actually, you no, know, recently we had we had Valentine's Day. You know that, right? It was you know a little over a week ago. Two weeks yes, ago. Yes, I, I I celebrated Valentine's yes. Day. And I went to a card store and I got my wife a, a, a card because I'm a very good husband that way. Was it and, the price store? Of course. Okay, of course. just checking. It's a dollar store. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but on the as I went up to pay, on the counter, there was a, a box of baseball cards for sale. You know, the individual packs. I picked one up because I'm curious. I wonder what they look like this year. And I noticed it was $6 for a, little, a pack of 14 cards. And I said, oh, my God, 6 bucks!" And the, the owner, so the guy who works there, I think it was the owner, he goes, yeah, I know. I can't believe it. it it's just, uh, it's ridiculous. It's not like the old days. I mean, and you know what? This is a, it, it's two, it's a two by three little cardboard card. And what a great way for kids to get into baseball. But at six bucks a, a pop, can't do it. And I, I, I just can't believe, I, it, it's just, it just bothered me. You know, $6 for 14 guards. It, it just, it was just ridiculous. So that's it's just a little pet peeve of mine. 
Yeah, six dollars does seem like a lot. I mean, I don't know what kids are walking around with nowadays uh, in their pockets, but six bucks for fourteen cards—I I get it. It's not going to be the fifty cents or whatever we no, pay. But you know what? In those days, they used film and they had to develop the film and it, mm-hmm. and process it. These days, it's it's all digital. They don't have mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, and it, no price on film or whatever. Look, I know there's more technologies, there's more expenses, but still. There's got to be a way to yeah. to make this affordable to kids to come into the hobby. It's just, just uh, I thought it was a little too much. But be that as it may, who do we have up next? <laughs> well, before we get to who we have next, Jeff, you've got something else for us. Don't cheat. Don't cheat our audience. They've come to expect this. So come on. Otherwise, we're going to hear from everyone. We missed out on you-know-what, so do it now. It's time for the Baseball Quote of the Week. After Roger beat me in the home run race in 1961, I could do no wrong. Everywhere I went, I got standing ovations. That was the great number seven, Mickey Mantle. Whose number? Is retired. (laughs) Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. That is great. I would have loved to have been around during that. Can you imagine what it must have been like yeah, to be around right. at that time? That's that's oh, but somebody but somebody could uh I guess somebody could say, well, we had a uh, McGuire and Sosa that had a uh, home run chase, right? Yeah, a little tainted though. Yeah, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I don't see uh I don't see their teams retiring their numbers, do you? No. No, I don't think so. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Now, speaking of retired numbers, there's there's absolutely no connection, but we do have a fantastic interview with Barrett Brown of Pit Boss as we are joined by Chef Ray. So listen to this. Enjoy. Our guest on Baseball and Barbecue is the marketing representative for a company that seems to have their pulse on what's going on in barbecue. They are coming out with new products. Among them is a company that a lot of you are going to know, and that is Pit Boss. And Pit Boss is a maker of pellet grills. And pellet grills are, I would say, they're, they're the future. They're the now, and they're the future. If you haven't used a pellet grill, you don't know what you're missing. But we're going to talk about all of that with our guest, and that is Barrett Brown. We're very happy to welcome him, as well as our guest co-host, and that is Ray Sheehan, Chef Ray. So, Barrett, welcome to Baseball and Barbecue. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. So, Barrett, I asked you if you liked baseball. You said you did. You said you played. And so, in the traditional baseball sense, we like to have our guest co-hosts hit leadoff. And so Ray is going to start and uh, Ray, start the questioning. Uh, First, I'd like to say, uh, Barrett, thank you so much for joining us on Baseball and Barbecue. I reached out to you and because Loki, I am I'm so enamored with Pit Boss Nation and everything that you guys are building. And, you know, in the barbecue world, there's always a secret sauce. I spent a long time trying to build a brand, a barbecue brand myself, and I know it's not easy. 
So you do not have the easiest job going. Uh, it may be the funnest job, but it's definitely not the easiest brand building. And, you know, I, I see a couple things with Pit Boss Nation. I see um, hotter, heavier, bigger as a hashtag and um, Pit Boss Nation. So I see people that I respect in the industry using your cookers, people that are friends of mine, Leanne Whippin, Erica Roby. I mean, these are people that are really experienced and they're using Pit Boss grills. So I ask you, I dare pose the question, what is the secret sauce that you're doing yeah. that to build this company? Yeah, no, you, you kind of answered it for me. And it's exactly that. It is community for I didn't join the industry until going on five years now. Community is barbecue that it bring barbecue brings people together. And our approach to marketing is, Hey, how can we build a community? We're not, you know, yeah, we, we want to grow, sell products along the way, but we want to uh, build a group of loyal customers, right? That feel comfortable, that make friends along the way, learn a ton from a group of people. And that's the goal. And ultimately that's, we're Danson's uh, is the parent company of Pit Boss, and they're they're family owned with with Christian based based faith, uh, and they operate their business as such. So, you know, as an employee here, you you feel like that's how you feel a part of the family. And everybody we work with, like Leanne, Erica, we treat them like they're part of the family, and really strategically pick our partners to be a part of the community in that way. And um, it's it's really worked well uh, for uh, for our business. So. I mean, that's great. And one of the things that I noticed um, on your website is you do provide a lot of recipes for people. So people that are maybe just getting started with, you know, an entry level pit boss grill, you're giving them the tools and how to use it. And I think that's really great. That's always been my thing is education based and providing recipes, whether it's for a brand, for a magazine, for your community, for your customers, and it really helps to give them the tools to utilize your products. Yeah, the, the recipes, again, just going back to community, we, we want to be a tool and a brand that we're the all-encompassing missing piece that they need for their grill. Like, we just want to add value back to our consumers. You got a grill, here's how you can use it, right? You know, I, I think everybody in on this call here, on this podcast, probably has some know-how in the barbecue industry and you know, has probably learned a thing or two from the best. And I'll say it myself, I've, I've been spoiled with, you know, learning how to trim a brisket from world champion pitmasters. Well, uh, not everybody has that privilege. And so we try to give that privilege, you know, teaching on behalf of some of our key pitmasters that we work with, um, letting them teach pit boss customers how they can be champion pitmasters in their own backyard with, Pit Boss products. Now, Barrett, Danson's is the is the main company, but it has you have Pit Boss, Louisiana Grills, Country Smokers, Amazing Smoking Products, and Thesans. I know Thesans uh, is also like outdoor, more like camping products and things like that for for cooking. And then I know you have a couple of other companies that uh, Sherlock Security and. Danson's industrial bulk lubricants, but we're, we're going to focus just on the, um, on the barbecue product. So how is it split out between those different companies? Yeah, it, good question. It really starts at the customer. We, we listen to our customers to see, Hey man, what, what do, what do people want? You know, we don't want to 
we don't want to tell people what they want. We want them to tell us, Hey, what, what's going to work best for you. And so kind of how, that's how we differentiate the two brands, you know, pit boss is large. We've been known for the big box store. You know, you think Walmart, Lowe's, Amazon, Menards, et cetera. Uh, probably missing a few there. Tractor Supply Target, you know, got to gotta give my NASCAR spiel. And so we really focus in on that consumer, you know, the, the people that shop Walmart frequently, shop Lowe's frequently, the DIYer, et cetera. Whereas Louisiana Grills is like, I'll put it like this. Like I, in my spare time, I love to mountain bike and I want the best of the best equipment for mountain biking. So I'm going to go to a specialty shop to get the best gear, right? So Louisiana Grills is that level up from Pit Boss. For the Phoenix area, I, I listened to the, the show this morning from your last podcast, Barbecue Island got a shout out, shout out. So the specialty dealers, Costco, specialty stores, they'll carry Louisiana Grills and you just get a, a higher end customer. And so with that Louisiana Grill, you're going to get a few more of the premium features that may or may not be found on a Pit Boss. Okay. Yeah, because I see, uh, because Pit Boss, you've got the pellet grills, and then, yeah, Louisiana Grills is also pellet grills. So what you're saying is Pit Boss is, although they have, Pit Boss has high-end pellet grills as well, right? But you've got, mm-hmm. you have, so what? one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, it's the winter. For some of us, you know, we're grilling all season, but others are waiting. Season gets closer. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. You've got someone saying, oh, you know, I need to get a barbecue for the for the season. For someone like that, what's a good entry into pellet grills? And if I say to you, I want a pellet grill where I can I can smoke, I can grill, I want to be able to do everything that maybe whatever for the ease that that I don't have with a charcoal grill or whatever. Yeah. What what are you recommending for someone like that? And I and I want to be mid entry. I don't want to spend a, a fortune on it, but at the same time, I want I want I don't want the lowest end. So I want something mid level. Great. Yeah. The good news is, really, it depends on what you're looking for in a grill. And we have options for everything. We Pit Boss does pellet grills are our bread and butter. We mm-hmm. also make Kamado style charcoal grills, barrel cookers, griddles. Uh, vertical smokers, you name it. When I, when I talk about features, you know, depending on your price range, you know, if you, if it is your first entry into pellet grilling, want to get the, just dip a toe per se, I'd recommend an Onyx edition grill from Walmart. You know, the opening price on those is, is $299. Great, great working machine. You know, Mm -hmm. you got the, you got the full color digital controller, for a single family, it's it's a good enough size that you can, yeah. you know, you can have a decent size cookout. But let's say like if my level, I've been pellet grilling for five years now. I'm looking for the step up, and I want things like the Wi-Fi. I w- I want the the smoke mode to to better my flavor, etc. I'd recommend going to Lowe's and shopping our Pro Series grill, like the the one behind me here. It's it's so easy to use, you know. That it, everything's going to taste good when you're wanting to show off with your friends. You control everything from your phone. I've done it multiple times now where I've gone to the Royal, you know, gone to Memphis in May and participated on a team and fed the fire, stoked the fire. And I have so much like respect and appreciation for the OGs, as I call them. But man, this last Thanksgiving, I looked like a hero just because of my pellet grill. Just I didn't do anything right. It did all the work for me, but it just tasted so good, right? 
Well, what'd you make? I'm assuming turkey. We made two two turkeys. I have one similar to the one behind me. I, I spatchcocked them, brined them, spatchcocked them, and yeah, I, it it was the the appearance, right? Nobody had ever seen that method of cooking in my in the family, so they're like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? So that was step one. You eat with your eyes first, right? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I, I I surprised myself honestly with the how juicy it was. So the the products sell themselves. So I did not have anything to do with that in the end of the day. Barrett, I want to talk about you. How, how long have you been in the industry, and what is your position over at Danson's? Yeah, so I've been I've been at Danson's going on five years this year. I've done everything. My my current title is marketing manager. I, where I oversee influencer marketing, I, I help on the events side of things. So I'll go, I'll go to the Royal. We're, we're big NASCAR sponsors. Uh, we do a little bit in the NFL now. I also support our retail marketing efforts. That's everything from the packaging you see to pr- new product launches and promoting them. And then, yeah, w- everything with brand partnerships like Johnsonville and Snake River Farms, um, as well as still dabbling on the influencer piece. I think the with the NFL now, we recently signed Hall of Famer Ed Reed. So we'll do a lot of cool promotional content with him. And really with all all the the promotions we do, it's not only the education of Pit Boss, but also, you know, telling barbecue consumers about pellet grilling. You know, it's there's still a lot of people that use gas and charcoal that those those products are great. But we also think, you know, why not one more to your collection? You know, so <laughs> we always ask what flavor of gas are you cooking with? Right. You uh, sounds like you have a fun job, actually. We're, yeah, we're uh, we're spoiled to say the least. <laughs> I think I think you you're missing. You need a, I think you need a, a chef Ray. To, well, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys are welcome anytime. <laughs> and and uh, you're in Arizona, so maybe you should uh, maybe the Diamondbacks should uh, be the first baseball team that you know you get behind. What what football teams are are you? Um, associated with i nebraska naturally i uh i grew up in a small town of sydney nebraska it's the home of cabela's and then a little baseball blurb i was originally going to go play baseball at nebraska carney it's a middle of this middle of the u.s actually it's carney nebraska uh ended up going to run track at shadron but you know what uh it's a shame because the track and barbecue podcast just doesn't have the same ring to it. So. <laughs> now, Barrett, we had mentioned earlier, um, and, and Leonard uh, uh, alluded to it also about cooking in the Northeast. You know, you uh, Danson's and Pitboss are located in Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, so it's nice and warm. But one of your hashtags, the bigger, hotter, heavier. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like, does that mean I can? cook in the Northeast, like it's going to snow tomorrow. I could be out there and it'll hold temp or how does it do, are the, the different models that you offer? Is there, uh, are they the same thickness? Are they different? How, you know, can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, it, the bigger, hotter, heavier is our value proposition. It's, it is our slogan. And what the, the short story for bigger, hotter, heavier is, when somebody, the number one question we get is, Hey, so this is like a trigger They're, uh They, they have a great brand and a great product. And we are always kind of the little brother to them. And 
uh, it's, it's changing, you know, pit boss is now growing to a powerful brand that competes with the best bigger means we are, we, for the equal or same size grill, you can buy t- for this one behind me, you could buy two of these before you buy one Traeger grill. So you get more square inches per grill than you would on a comparable unit. Hotter alludes to the flame broiler lever. So on a pit boss, it's a smoker and a grill. So with the flame broiler lever, you can actually open up a sear plate and get a direct flame sear. So it makes things like grill on the burger or a steak, just like you do on a gas grill, super easy. Great for the reverse sear method, which is popular with pellet grills. And it gets to, I've, I've got it reached up to a thousand degrees, you know, on the, on the temperature gun. So it'll, it'll get cooking. Don't, especially in Arizona. And, and then heavier is we, we are a thicker gauge steel than our competitor. So pit boss, this pro series grill is about a 14 gauge industry standards, about 16 gauge of steel. So we're a little bit thicker and you can tell when you go in the store and lift the lid, you can see, you can tell the difference pretty, pretty quickly. And do you, do you offer like, you know, an old school trick that we would do with uh, smokers that we made or that my friends made, we would get like water heater blanket and put it around the cooker and until mm-hmm. one time it melted. But, you know, that's a whole nother story. But do you <laughs> offer accessories like that that would help to keep the, the, the you know, the temperature consistent, say, if I wanted to cook and it's 20 degrees out? Yep. We, we have insulated blankets for, for all grills. Okay. And they're not going to melt. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> not like, not like this one that I got. Yeah. Yeah. They, depending on what you're cooking, uh, they work in all elements. Some guy called and said, Hey, my, my smoker's not working. I'm like, okay, well he lives in Wisconsin. It's negative 30 degrees. Like, oh yeah, you, you may not be able to, to get to you know, the 500 degrees in that, in that kind of climate. But if you're cooking a brisket going low and slow, traditional barbecue style, you know, trying to get the most flavor on that thing, it's going to perform just as good. And for the, for the price, you can't beat it. Right. So, yeah, that's a great value to be able to get for, you know, your everyday backyard cooker or family to get in for two ninety nine. I mean, that's, that's terrific really. And like the, another convenience factor is the grill and griddles alike is you have one, you don't have to dirty up your kitchen. You don't have to dirty up multiple pots and pans, etc. It really works kind of just like an oven. Anything you can do on your stovetop and or grill, you can do on on a, a pellet cooker and or a pit boss uh, pellet smoker. So, um, yeah, they're, they're great to have. And in Arizona, we like them because they don't heat up the house. But I could also see in the Northeast, man, it might be might be kind of nice to use your oven for that little extra burst of heat. So, uh, we, we don't, we won't shame those people that will, uh, will, ex- will, uh, accept them into the family when they're ready. So, yeah, you know, Barrett, I'm always curious because there's all the electronics in, in a pellet grill using it outside in, uh, in inclement weather. And I'm not talking about cold rain, snow, it's, you know, you're plugging it in, although I want to talk to you because I, I think you also have now pellet grills that run on battery. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, most of them you plug in, there's all the computer equipment. I know you can use it in, in rain and snow, and but no effect on, uh, on, on your grills? Yeah, we two, two facts there. 
A, always when you're done using your machine, always unplug it. And we always recommend to store it with a cover, you know, just to be a responsible grill mm -hmm. owner in that fact. But I think an another question online forums, this, that, the other customer complaints, that's, that's in every industry and every product is going to have those. And less than 1% of 1% of units that we have out in the field um, have issues. So, you know, the, the, the loudest people uh, on the internet are always carry the most weight. It seems sometimes, but online reviews, forums, you know, all that, but we have a, that's why the, Pit Boss has a five-year warranty, right? And we're so customer first, you know, any of you guys or your family or friends or their friends, they could call our customer care any day of the week. And we, they've won like national awards for how good a customer service they are over there. So something we pride ourselves on and another reason of the trying to build that Pit Boss community, right? We, we each want to treat our customers like family. So, you know, Barrett, Danson's now is going on, uh, I think, the 25th anniversary this this year, which is a great accomplishment. But what I, looking at your webpage, you also, which I'm very impressed with, by the way, is uh, you're supporting the local and global communities by giving back some of the, uh, some by supporting, I should say, charities such as the National Breast Cancer Foundation, the Salvation Army, Ryan's House, and Pit Boss Heroes. Could you talk about that and... Uh, we, and we know about the, the Breast Cancer Foundation and Salvation Army, but Pit Boss Heroes and Ryan House, but what, what are those? Yeah, that all that's at the core beliefs and values of our ownership, the Thiessen family. It's something that's always been heavy on their heart is giving back. And again, they're they're Christian based and they um they a lot a lot of their charitable givings focuses on children, women, and youth. Uh or I guess children and youth go the same, but uh military. Like you said, this Pit Boss Heroes program has also been on the forefront. Um, and the really cool promotion we do for Pit Boss Heroes is that any veteran or active military or first responder, they receive 25% off on the Pit Boss website for any order whenever they want. It's it's registered through ID.me. As, as a, a patriot myself, right? I just have so much respect for a company that willing to always offer that discount you know it doesn't make a whole lot of business sense but it's it's the right thing to do for those people that lay their lives on the line and another reason that i just had the some such great respect for um, our our ownership that's fantastic what do you see on the horizon what you know do you have any new products coming out or any new cookers new features anything that is not so top secret that you could uh, tell us about I will. I'll allude to next as early as next month and then talk about some of the new technologies we have. Um, okay. You guys will be the first to know publicly on your on the barbecue oh, and baseball wait, podcast. A baseball and barbecue exclusive. <laughs> we again, it's always customer first for us. And dating back to last year, a, a, a key customer, Academy Sports and Outdoors, they're big sporting good re retailer focused in the, the Southeast headquartered in Houston. They, they reached out to us wanting the, the biggest and baddest smoker around. So I'll, I'll give you the, the hint that Academy is getting a, a new elite pellet smoker coming next month. The it's the thing from an aesthetic perspective, it looks like Darth Vader and exactly what you would want on your, uh, your back porch. I probably, Darth Vader may not have been the best descriptive word, but just trust me, it, it looks badass. So 
Yeah, and Ray, to answer your question on um, how we're innovating, and I think from things like we hear it from the customer that, why can't my temperature get to 275? Well, we then went and integrated five degree temperature increments on our control boards. We hear it from our customer, my grill's not getting the temp fast enough. We actually went and our product team, development team, they changed the material what's on our igniters. So going from kind of your, your classic flint to a silicon nitride material uh, that just gets to temp faster and they get the patent on stuff like that um, uh, to be kind of an industry leader. Another cool one. Sorry, I'm going to talk your ears off for a second. No, we no, would. Please, please do. Go ahead. That's why um, I have two of them. The We're working on technologies that the whole, the pellet grill, right? You feed, you, you dump pellets into your wood pellet hopper, and then it does all the work for you from your hopper. We're getting into discussions of having a, a divider. So you can now have your apple blend pellets and your cherry blend pellets all in one if you want to mix flavors. Or you can have your charcoal blend and your, your hickory blend, et cetera. You know, and then the other stuff just keeps getting better. The ash clean out, the the Wi-Fi, all the all the nooks and crannies, just like your cell phone, right? The the newer the model, the uh the more buttoned up that it keeps getting. I will say one of the things about pellet grills, I guess any barbecue, I'm not I hate cleaning them. I do. I I mean, I know you have to do it, but you know, with the pellet grills, you, you gotta, you know, vacuum it out so and I know you don't have to do it after every time, but I feel like somehow I end up doing it after every time. I just want to make sure that I start with a nice, clean uh, fire pot and, uh, you know, uh, fresh pellets and, and all that. You guys are making them easier to clean? Yep. It's still, we're still perfecting it. And I think that's uh, industry standard of, you know, grills. There's, you just put anything with food, right? That's not managed by a professional kitchen uh, and the FDA is tough to clean. So offer an ash clean out. It's under mounted under your barrel. So instead of having to take everything out and chop back it, you can now just simply reach under your barrel, grab the cup, dump it, and you're back in action. Oh, I like that. I like that <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah, we we still... The grease part is something we're still working on. Mm-hmm. We we have a couple decent solutions where a degreaser, you know, s- spray it, let it soak for a unit a little bit, scrape it off. And then I'm not old school, but I am old school in this sense of turn your grill on high, let it burn as much off as possible. And that's going to do, that's worked for what the last hundred years or, or so. So why quit now? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah. Barrett, could you talk about uh, the Thiessen's Authentic Outdoor Equipment? Because that's another company that Danson owns. So it looks very interesting. It looks like it's more for the camping enthusiast, I should say. Yeah. And the whole one theme that you'll see between Thiessen's and Sherlock Security and these other brands is, you know, the the hot time for the Black Friday for pellet for grill market, right, is Memorial Day. You know, really, you see a huge spike in the uh the bell curve march through june and so the thought behind these other brands is hey how can how can you pick up sales in july august and november december and that's where those other brands kind of came into to play t sins is focused on light lightweight cooking equipment so kind of think like camp chef in the in the camp kitchens and or a jet boil like the single pot boilers for that you can fit in a backpack 
you know, really trying to diversify our the product portfolio. And then the safes are a real interesting one because it it directly there it directly offsets the grill sales. Um, the peak season for that is holiday. It's November, December. It's hunting season. So when safes are cold, grills are hot, and vice versa. That's again leadership of Danson's uh, has done a tremendous job building the portfolio. What's amazing is, and this is on Danson's.com, D-A-N-S-O-N-S.com, the Danson story, founded in 1999, like Jeff said, going to be celebrating the you know, 25 years, by Dan Thiessen and two of his sons with the desire to turn the waste of sawmills into a reliable source of energy. And H- hence the company name, Danson's. Yeah, right. But th- thank you. <laughs> but I, so pellet fuel and, and, and pellet appliances, but you start off that way. And now, I, I mean, it's so unbelievable how the company has grown and what you guys have done. Yeah. And I, I wish I, I had the idea and could take credit for any of that, but um, sure. Yeah, Nobody's Dan, listening. Go ahead. Go ahead, Barrett. <laughs> Dan, Dan, Jeff, that Jordan, you know, Steve Motts is another one of the original founders. They're just so entrepreneurial, opportunistic. They, they hustled so hard and yeah, they, you know, it's real interesting. There are a couple stories from that side of things is for the pellet side. Yeah. They, they kind of turned one person's trash into another person's treasure where they would all the scraps, they would essentially say, Hey, you guys using that? No. Can we have it? Sure. And they would take it, you know, a zero dollar material cost and pelletize it. And at the time they were actually selling uh wood pellet stoves to heat the house, you know, real popular Europe and, and the North, uh, really efficient way to heat your house, might I add, but apart early stages of Danson's like Dan has an engineering background and built a grill out of it, you know, and he was a part of the you know, he knew Joe Traeger. It was a it was a smaller world than you thought back in the day. And he essentially designed a more efficient fuel system uh, or feeding system for the pellet grill than, than Joe did uh, with the Louisiana grills. And he made it gravity fed versus pellet versus auger fed. A big deal at the time. So different patent that went into it. And so to, to make a long story longer, I apologize the the pellet stove business was doing all right um, and they got an offer one day to sell that off and they got the offer and said hey well hey did you want this grill business too and the company said no we didn't even they didn't even think pellet grills think twice about it right so they said okay yeah you can have the stove business and we'll just focus on the grills i guess and lo and behold you know uh here we are of uh the uh the company that pit boss has evolved into today you know Danson's has thoughtfully curated their portfolio uh, really to satisfy just about every customer's want and need. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the pellets and uh, the sauces and seasonings um, and how they came about. And um, are they all natural? What, what's, you know, what separates them from, you know, any other products that are out on the market? We want to answer any question a customer may have or fulfill a need that any customer may have. So anything that you need for your classic backyard barbecue, you can shop for it at pitboss-grills.com. The pellets is an industry leader on our side. 
you can they're available nationwide walmart lowe's grocery stores online you name it amazon prime you know free shipping it's crazy how uh, how much it's grown but yeah our our wood pellets they're all natural no additives so a lot some competitors you see they you know if they do a cherry blend pellet they may have a cherry oil or a cherry flavor that goes with it we do all natural wood so you don't have to worry about any of that and a lot of times what we've seen is sometimes the additives can can mess with your machine so we've been we've been fortunate to avoid that um the other thing is just there's infinite amount of, i think we are up to 18 flavors wow. so if you're an enthusiast and you you want to spice it up a little bit try some new things you know chances are it'll be hard to to cook with the same the same two flavors in a week uh with pit boss pellets what for seasonings do you guys what's your guys's favorite like genre barbecue kansas city carolina texas or yeah i mean i'm all over the map i, I love kansas city memphis carolinas but yeah. really kansas city and memphis are my two favorites yeah there's no wrong answer right they're all good. No, they're, they're all right <laughs> uh barrett i'm actually uh kind of partial to new york barbecue i feel i feel that new york barbecue is a unique flavor because you know barbecue started in new york i mean you i i know everybody thinks <laughs> you know but because but, new yorkers we you know we know i will say the the best hot dog i've ever had came from a new york street cart <laughs> there you go <laughs> a dirty, dirty water, water dog exactly <laughs> barry could you talk talk about how dancing is a worldwide global company because i noticed that you have you service 39 countries over the world yeah good good guess on the number i would not know that <laughs> no uh yeah internationally distributed europe australia a little bit of asia canada uh, so our dancing was founded in canada and then moved south a few years ago so good move yeah yeah, <laughs> you move to warm Arizona. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get out of Canada. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, really, the the product assortment's pretty similar, but European customer they they don't have as much space, and they kind of like it a certain way. And so, same deal. You know, we we listen to the customers over there. We customize the product that makes sense for them so we're, we're not picky there's not a cookie cutter approach at, at pit boss so that's the big the biggest difference is internationals you may see a, a different item here and there is all by the way when i say you know get out of canada i mean any place cold because yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a special uh, uh connection with canada our our theme song in the beginning and our closing song are actually uh, composed, written and composed and sung by uh, two uh, people who are from Canada, uh, live there now, and we love Canada. But as far as the weather, not so much. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, Barrett, I wanted to ask you, too. I mean, you guys have been able to get into the big box stores. I mean, you are in, like you said, Walmart, Lowe's, Best Buy. Um, it says you're on Amazon, Cabela's, Ace. You know, I think, I think, are you in Costco as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does that, you know, how does that happen that uh, you guys are able to, you know, be in all those stores? I I mean, that's, uh, it's pretty impressive. 
like our, our sales team just does a tremendous job on building those relationships with, with the, the retail teams. So all credit kudos to them. I, I wouldn't name drop them, but, uh, um, I don't want to, it'll go straight to their head, right? They're sales guys. So they'll, they'll think that's funny. I think, I think, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, cause, cause Barrett, I, I, when you go into, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you when you go into those, you know, home Depot and, and Walmart and whatever those stores and they, and you see those grills and you get to use them. Now there's a lot of, there, there are other pellet grills that are sold online have never used them. But when you're able to go and physically turn the dials, open the lid, look at the grill racks, see how these things are made, you know, that's important, especially when when somebody might not be familiar with the pellet grill. They may go in and say, you know, this is this is unique. This is interesting. And the next thing you know, you know, there you got a sale. So I mean that's that's great. Yeah. You you pretty much hit the nail on the head and the the general perception with with shopper buying these days is online shopping is the future and it rules but the the fact of the matter is that brick and mortar has never been stronger you know people still want a relationship they still want a connection with what they're buying and know that have have confidence that they're they're buying a, a quality a piece of equipment and so that's a leg up for pit boss any day of the week. If and I encourage listeners to, if you're ever in a any retailer, Walmart, Lowe's, and beyond, or Menards and Academy, wherever your local retailer is near you nationwide, go and pick up the lid, fill the lid of a Pit Boss versus other grills, and you'll know the difference. I hope that quality, that that thicker material, right? It's going to make your grill last longer. You're going to hold heat better, um, and you're more bang for your buck, right? Is our goal. And so, and if it's not, we want to hear about it because we want to uh, make sure that we keep you in the pit boss family. So. Yeah. Cause the worst thing, the worst thing is every year having to, or every, every couple of years having to replace your grill. Nobody wants to do that. That's uh, so you want to have something that you can, and you could rely on it. And the other thing is you don't want to have to, you know, you're ready. You bought all your ingredients, but you didn't, you know, the, the grill's sitting there and uh, you want to be able to take the cover off, start it up and not worry that it's not going to start. So that's that's important as well. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was portability. Like I like to go camping. Do you have anything that I like a uh, like a tabletop pellet grill that I can take camping or if I'm going biking or something like that? portability and how is the is it as if you do are they i mean i'm sure they're probably consistent with the rest of your line but as far as like the portability and durability i guess would be the question you ask the same question that our, our customers are asking and we just keep delivering on hey whatever you want we got you covered you know a lot of so many people have came to us and said we love your grill so much I don't need one for my backyard, but I need one for my RV. I need one for my trailer. You know, I need one to take tailgating. And so uh, last year, we actually launched a brand new battery-powered pellet grill. You you can cut the cord, take it on the go with you. Um, it's incredible. It works just like a, a power drill. You charge it beforehand, take it. It'll If you're working on low, it'll last you about 10 hours. Wow. Um, so okay. it is... 
call it like 18 inches by 16 inches. Don't quote me, but ballpark. You could, if you, if you cut the brisket in half, you could put just like the flat or the point on it. One, I got the product. I, I'm spoiled. So I got the product tested last March and me and a bunch of friends went skiing. Believe it or not, Arizona has a, a ski hill. We, we went up north and I put a tri-tip. I took the battery power, turned it on. I put a tri-tip on the grill, went and did several laps on the ski hill, came back. It was perfect ready to go All my, you know, we, we, we had plenty of refreshments there. Uh, all my friends ate tri-tip tacos for lunch on the ski hill after a long day. And then we got right back after it. Highly recommend that for any, for any campers, Ray, and anything for port- portability. It's an amazing product. What, what's the name of that one? That's the Pit Boss Battery Powered Pellet Grill. Oh, that says it all. And, <laughs> and, and, and wait a minute. Arizona has snow in, in the mountain. You know, give me a break. I mean, it gets cold up there. I was there in November up, up north. It gets cold. Uh, I mean, that's just it's not right. If you you guys have the heat, you you know, we have snow. I mean, and now you got both. All right. That's OK, I guess. Barrett, we uh, we thank your time very much. We appreciate it. We learned a lot about Pit Boss and the Danson's uh, brands. Uh, do you want to promote any uh, social media that people can get in touch with with you guys? Yeah, please. Uh, thank you so much for for having me on today. Uh, let me represent. Please encourage everybody to follow Pit Boss Grills at Pit Boss Grills one word on all the social channels: YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, we we're always promoting new recipes, new barbecue, new ways to use your grill. So would love to uh, to hear from you all. Jeff, they have a line of the- sauces and rubs too, right? Barrett, you have sauces and rubs. Yep. Yeah. So they have everything. You guys need some free samples? I, we never <laughs> we'll say no that, to that, but we no. never we'll take say that no. offline. <laughs> we'll take that offline. Barrett, also for the, for the youngins, that you have a what do you call it? A TikTok page as well, too. Oh yeah, I forgot. Um, see, I, I I feel old now. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. This is, like I said, this has been a a very uh, enlightening interview. So thank you very much. And we appreciate you being on Baseball and BBQ. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Barrett Brown. Thank you to Ray, Chef Ray. And thank you also, of course, to Anthony McCarron. Jeff, what's your number? I want to retire your number. You know my number. Forty forty nine. <laughs> That's right. That is yes, in honor of Ed Hearn. That's yes. True. And speaking yeah. of Ed Hearn, we wish you all the best because we know you're going through uh, yes uh, some difficulties right now, and we we praying for you every day. Yes, yeah, we are. We are. We definitely are. All right, wear that number proudly, and let everybody know. Well, I should let everybody know that we are presented by Bet Online. It is where the game starts. We're not starting. I, I think this this podcast, it's I'm still listening to 225, but now I got to listen to 226. I got to catch up. Just wait it's till time. 227. Ooh. <laughs> is that a tease, Jeff? That's a good one. Ooh, okay. All right. So let's get out of here with, how, how do we end the show, Jeff? With the musician. And that is Dave Dresser. And the poet. Shel Krakowski. And the song. Baseball always brings you home.
Have a great week, everybody. Clap.